Hi, I'm Walter Harvey, the senior pastor at Parklawn Assembly of God. Parklawn is a church that both regular attenders and even unchurched people love to attend. Why? Perhaps it's because we seek real and authentic relationships. We're a multicultural church that's engaged in volunteerism and outreach in our community and world. Let's face it, we live in a real world. Young people are facing challenges in their school, relationships, and career choices. That's why we're focused on practical matters, such as making faith work in family, career, and community issues. If you're tired of church as usual, or you don't go to church at all, then Parklawn Assembly of God could be the perfect place for you. Come check it out this weekend. We have services each Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Parklawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon. I want to talk today about tradition. Just say that word, tradition. It's a good word, but even when you hear the word, it must, my flesh just kind of curls and crawls a little bit. Tradition. Now, tradition is not a bad thing. It can be a good thing. A lot of us have family traditions. We observe them at times of holidays and other special occasions. But it's also true that every church has traditions. Even this church has traditions. Some of you that are here for the first time or the first time in a long time or haven't been to church at all, you're probably wondering, do I stand? Do I sit? Do I raise my hand? You probably wondered last night or this morning or even during the week, what do I wear? Tradition. It makes us uncomfortable. Every church has traditions related to baptism. Do we immerse or do we sprinkle? Do we baptize babies or do we baptize only adults? Do we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, or do we just baptize in the name of Jesus? We have traditions even related to the day that we worship. What do we call the Sabbath day? Do we worship on Friday? Do we worship on Saturday? Do we worship on Sunday? How long do we worship? And some of you all are probably wondering that right now. What time are we going to get out of here? <laughs> we also have the tradition of communion. In fact, today, on the first Sunday of every month at Parklawn, our tradition is that we have communion. Uh, it's not communion like some of you all might be used to in your tradition where we serve the Mogan David Boone's Farm, <laughs> Ripple, whatever it was for you. We don't do that. We, our tradition is juice. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you if that's your tradition. Which Bible translation do we use? Aren't you glad we have smartphones and smart tablets now that wherever you go, whatever the translation is, you can just quickly adjust to that. And then we even have traditions in terms of denominations or non-denominations, which is a denomination of a denomination. Tradition is not a bad thing unless it becomes greater unless it becomes a higher authority than the word of God. My wife and I are wearing t-shirts today to say truth over tradition. And that's the subject I want to talk about today because tradition becomes like fences. Tradition becomes a fence. And the fence helps us to distinguish who's in and who's out. 
which side are you on? Are you on my side or are you on their side? Tradition creates fences. And then after we create the fence, we gather around our defense and the, we, the fence becomes a defense. We start protecting ourselves from those who are on the other side of the fence. In, in the Bible, the first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, chapter 15, there's an there's a interesting story I want to talk about today. Just give me about 20 minutes for those of you who are wondering what time we're going to get out. Give me about 20 minutes, all right? That's not usually the tradition. Because <laughs> I can go maybe 40 because y'all a long-winded congregation. Y'all just pull it out of me. It's not me, it's you. But in Matthew chapter 15, this, this text is based out of um, the book of Exodus. And when, when, when the first priest, Moses, was anointed to be the high priest and his sons also to be priests serving with him, God gave Moses the command to tell Aaron and his sons, all the priests, that they needed to wash their hands before they started their their ministry or their service, which is a good thing. How many of you agree? It's good to wash your hands, <laughs> right? I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I keep one of these with me everywhere I go, all right, until I can get some soap and water. Y'all know what this is, right? Sanitizer. I call mine manitizer. That was a good command that God gave to Moses and the priest. But 200 years before Jesus came on the scene, certain rabbis, certain Jewish leaders took that commandment and they added certain traditions to it, man-made traditions. They said, you know, if it was good for, for Moses and for the priest to wash their hands, I think we should wash our hands before we eat. Amen to that. But they didn't stop there. They said, you know what, let's add to that and let's wash the pots and let's wash the cups and, and everything that's in the temple. Let's wash all of that as well. Because if God was pleased with the priests washing their hands before they served, we wanted to be pleased with us too. But they didn't stop there. They said, if God is pleased with that, well, while we're washing our hands and while we're washing the cups and the pots, let's put some thoughts, some, some bullet points that we have to be thinking about while we're washing our hands. Can you imagine if you forget one of those points while you're washing your hands, you've got to start all over. That tradition became a fence. And so Jesus and his disciples show up, and he's not keeping any of their traditions. And the religious rulers got upset. Let me begin in chapter 15 in verse 1, it says, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked him, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands before they eat. And I love the way Jesus deals with people. He answered their question with a question. Jesus replied, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? In essence, he was telling them, you guys, it's, tradition is not bad. You got that down pat. But you're not even obeying God's command. Do you remember those Ten Commandments, not Ten Suggestions? So you're not even obeying the, the Ten Commandments. And in fact, he pointed out number five, the one in verse four. He says, honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. 
but you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, they nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Let me just, let me break that down just a little bit. Some of the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they figured out a way through tradition to get around the command to honor their father and mother. If, if their mother and father, because they didn't have a social security system back in the Bible days, they didn't have a Medicare and a Medicaid, your family was that. Those are the good old days, right? And let me just put a period right there and say my mother and father, they demanded honor and obedience. I mean, if you, you couldn't do what kids are doing today back in the day, you would wake up next week. <laughs> what you say? In fact, they wouldn't even say what you say, just pow. <laughs> you didn't do that again. But the Jewish people, they had found a way to declare all of their possessions as being devoted to God. It's kind of what some rich folks do, right? We hide certain things from the IRS, and they were hiding certain of their possessions saying that this this is devoted to God so I really can't give it to you it would be taken away from God and so in verse 7 Jesus calls them hypocrites hypocrites are nothing more than actors I've often said that if Hollywood ever runs out of actors and actresses as Denzel and Cecily and all of them retire all they got to do is come to the church we got we got we got some actors in here Jesus calls those religious leaders, you hypocrites. He goes back to the prophet Isaiah and said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you and said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Y'all ever heard of lip service? Lip service, that's when somebody's saying something, but they don't mean it. They're saying something, but their actions are not backing it up. That's what Jesus was saying. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, but their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus was letting everybody know it's wrong to love your tradition more than you love God and more than you love people. He says you're not even keeping the commandment to honor your mother and father. So there's a lesson. Point number one, for those of you that are just anal and just got to have a, a bullet point or a number one, here's number one lesson. Jesus is saying relationship trumps. No, let me not use that word. Relationships over <laughs> rules. We got to get a new word, right? Relationship over rules. Before my conservative members of the congregation, relationship trumps rules. That's what he's saying. Relationships over rules. So the question we need to ask when it comes to our traditions, this is the application point. How is this tradition impacting my relationships? How is it impacting my relationship with God? Because half of the commandments are vertical. Love the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain, right? The other half are horizontal. How do we relate to one another? So if our tradition is taking the place and impacting our relationship with God and relationship with one another, it's out of order. It's another lesson Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that it's more important what's on the inside 
than how you express on the outside your faith. And, and verse 10 picks that up. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. But what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And then the disciples came to him and said, Lord, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Lesson number two, truth over tradition. Relationship over rules. Number two, truth over tradition. The truth that's on the inside of your heart is more important than the expression. How do we baptize? What name do we baptize in? What day do we worship? How, how do I dress? How long is the service? Do we do hymns or choruses? Do we have a choir or a praise team? Truth. To worship God in spirit and in truth, to worship him from your heart, is more important than tradition, than how you do it. What's on the inside is more important than on the outside. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Jesus needed his disciples to really get this. He, he, you know, remember, he, he was only with them for three and a half years. He was going to die and be resurrected and ascend back to heaven and send the power of the Holy Spirit to be with them and with us. So just like he needed them to learn this lesson, he needs us to learn it because we represent him on the, on the earth. And what we have managed to do is just add more tradition just create more fences and get behind our fences and they become defenses and we throw bombs and rocks at the others that are on the other side of the fence he said you forgot that relationship is over rules and truth is over tradition so he wanted them to learn how to tear down fences he wanted them to learn how to overcome their prejudices you don't need to be afraid of the word prejudice because we all have them. Sometimes you can be black for so long and mad for so long. You, I ain't prejudiced. Yes, you are. Everybody in here is prejudiced. Robin D'Angelo, in her book White Fragility, she, she, fragility she, she distinguishes the difference between racism and discrimination and prejudice. She says racism is different than prejudice. Prejudice is a prejudgment based upon group thoughts and is projected onto everyone from that group. She says we all have it. She says racism is different than discrimination. Discrimination is actions that are based on prejudice. Discrimination manifests in terms of violence and ignoring people and threats and and, and not employing them or firing them or uh, those type of things. She says racism is collective prejudice that's based upon legal authority and institutional control. Racism is not an individual thing, it's a systemic thing. Racism is not, I don't like you because you're this color. I don't like you because you're, you're that sexual orientation. Racism is systemic. 
That might be prejudice and that might be discrimination. But racism, when I got some power to do something about my prejudice and my discrimination. So we all have it. I'm sorry, I digress for a moment. I told you. I told you, y'all long-winded. I, let me, leave me alone. Let me get back to my message. Let me get back to my message. So Jesus wanted his disciples and he wanted us to, to be about the business of kicking down fences. Not living on the defense. But certainly not creating offenses within people. Because fences, which become defenses, create offense. People who have been offended by tradition, baptism, communion, clothes, music, all that other stuff, they're offended now. You've already treated me like, like I'm not inside the fence, I'm outside the fence, and I don't want to come over there with you all. So we wanted them to tear down fences and minimize offenses. So what does he do? He takes his disciples. Now this is after encountering these religious leaders and teaching them relationship is over rules and truth is over tradition. I almost said it again. It's over tradition. He takes them up close and personal to learn how to do it. And you know where he takes them? He takes these Jewish boys to Gentile country. He takes them up north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's like going to from Mequon down to the hood. You say you want to overcome your, your racial structures and you want to overcome your discrimination and your prejudice? Well, you can't do it up there. I'm going to take you to some Gentile country because I need you to learn how to do this. He took them to the other side of the tracks. You will never learn to love another culture without coming out of your comfort zone and experiencing it. Amen. Those of you all who have, who have traveled, I'm not just talking about traveling overseas, traveling across town. <laughs> you ain't got to get a ticket. Get on a ship. <laughs> just go to a different zip code. You will learn how to love another culture. But don't just do it one time. So back in Matthew 15, this is what he did in verse 21. Leaving that place, leaving that comfort zone, so they can learn this lesson. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now this was a region where dark-skinned folk lived. Canaanites. Descendants of Ham, that, that third son of Noah. The progenitors of the African race, the African origin of people. And this Canaanite woman, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a Marquette story. So I'm a freshman at Marquette. I'm in the theology class. And father, uh, uh, Rabbi Barry Francis Silberg, who used to, used to be the rabbi at the Jewish synagogue across from UWM. I think they moved up to River Hills now. So he was teaching this, this theology course. And I, I was one of two black people sitting in the class. And I was sitting in the front, right where you and Arlene are sitting. And I was sitting next to Dr. Arnold Mitchum's daughter, Nichelle. Only two blacks in the class. And, um, and Rabbi Silberg was making a statement about the New Testament and making a statement about people in the Bible. 
and this was totally new to me, and he said, Jesus was probably darker than you, and he pointed at me. You talking about being woke? I got awoke, awakened several ways. Number one, sleeping in class. Somebody sleeping in church right now, just nudge them, say, wake up, you don't want to miss this. Number two, I became racially awoke. My first thought was that if I could have hidden under the seat, I would have, but I couldn't because I was in the front row. But after that initial sense of fear and embarrassment, there was a sense of pride and curiosity that rose up within me. And I said, you mean there were black people in the Bible? That awakened a study within me to learn that God really loves everybody, red, yellow, black, white, and brown. And that study began to cause me to go back and look at the, I don't want to, see y'all long-winded. I went all the way back to Adam, and I said, the name Adam means red dirt, really? So Adam was kind of like that dirt you find in Africa and down in Mississippi and Alabama. Y'all know that reddish brown? I said, really? That's what Adam means? So it wasn't a European Adam with blonde hair and blue eyes that I have been, let me just, let me keep going. So Jesus takes his disciples to Tyre and Sidon, they encounter this Canaanite woman. And the Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out in verse 22 saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. How many mothers do we have here today? Just, just wave at me. Oh, some fierce fighting machines. When it comes to your babies, oh, man. Y'all like the, the, the bear, that mother bear, when you come near her cubs, whoo. The mother lioness, don't stand between a woman and her babies. I'm talking about the real mothers now. You know, I know you got these mothers that are trying to be young and cute. I'm talking, now you can be cute and young, but you stand, I'm talking to the real mothers. My baby, this woman said, my baby is in need. I don't care what our racial bias is. I don't care what our history is. I don't care who you are. I believe you can help my baby. You mess with a woman's baby, she might just start a prison ministry. Right? I don't care. I'm going to jail. You mess with... <laughs> don't mess with that woman's child. So she comes to Jesus saying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed. But Jesus does something that is totally out of his character. The Jesus that I know, the loving Jesus, the, the creating Jesus, the Jesus that would leave a crowd and go to the, to the prostitutes and the, and the drunkards and the lepers. Jesus does not say a word. He acts like he don't even see her or hear her. You know what that word is? Ignore. He ignores her. Verse 23 said, Jesus did not answer a word. He ignored her. <laughs> being ignored is worse than being rejected. Because if you reject me, at least I know you see me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I can kind of figure out why you rejected me, but if you ignore me, you're not even acknowledging my humanity, my presence. Jesus didn't say a word. 
what he did is seemingly put a stumbling block in front of this woman. But remember, this woman was determined. She persevered. But what he was also doing is that he was putting a, a teaching moment in front of his disciples. He was teaching them that this woman is going to have to overcome her offenses. And you disciples are going to have to tear down the fences so that it makes it easy for her to come to me in faith. But her response was, was powerful. She just, she just stayed and kept on asking. She was persistent, just like a mother is when her baby's in need. That, that, that's where many of us, we becomes a problem. Because the moment we're offended, the moment we feel rejected, the moment we feel ignored, you know what? Forget this. I ain't climbing over that fence. I ain't trying to tear it down. It's too hard to get to Jesus. Just forget it. Maybe I'll see him on the other side. Maybe I won't. Let me just submit this to you. You gave up too soon. You quit too soon. You should have kept on pressing like this woman when you were ignored, when you felt rejected, when you, when you felt that you were put on the outs instead of on the in. Verse 23 says, the disciples noticed her. Now, Jesus act like he didn't even notice her. But the disciples noticed her, verse 23. And they said, send her away. She keeps crying out after us. Really? They didn't want you. She didn't want them. They, she cried out after us. No, you with Jesus. That's the one she wants. But don't miss this, because the disciples represent you and me. We are the bridge. We are, we are the ones, unfortunately, who have built fences, which have become defensive, and have created offense where we should have been tearing them down and building bridges to Jesus. So right now, they want to put up another fence. Send her away. She's crying out after us. We're over here. We're busy. We're with Jesus. Those who are supposed to reach out and bring people to Christ instead have said, ah, ah, we put the hand up. Can't come any further. Unclean, you got to stay out there. You're on the other side of the fence. So many of us, including church leaders, have misrepresented God. Don't shout me down. No, I know I'm preaching good. We projected the nature and the characteristics of man upon God. We have projected our own prejudice, the things, our preferences, the things that we like, as if God is pleased by them. Listen, God is big enough to handle his own press, his own promotions. All creation is declaring the glory. You ain't going to praise God? Well, just step out in the sun and let that sunbeam hit you. You're going to know it just didn't get up there by itself. <laughs> Put a seed in the ground and watch a flower come up and, and the beauty and the majesty and the, and the mystery of it. God, all creation is declaring the glory of God. Whether your lips ever utter, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. He's big enough to handle his own press. But in all of his bigness, he is still wise enough that he has chosen to use fallen humanity, you and me. Turtles on the fence post. 
to represent him on the earth. And he needed for the disciples and he needs for us to get this right. I'm going to ask those of you who have been offended, who felt like you're on the outside, just do something. Just, just forgive those fence keepers. Just forgive them. They know not what they do. They can do better. They're imperfect servant leaders, just like the 12 disciples of Jesus. And to those fence sitters, to us that are seemingly on the end, that's what we think. While we are, excuse me, while we are modeling truth over tradition and relationship over rules, let's not compromise on the truth. Yes, truth trumps tradition, but truth also offends. Y'all ain't saying nothing now. Truth, <laughs> truth offends. There's four things that offend you. Number one, Jesus. He's not going to compromise on the truth to make you feel good. Number two, a drunk person will tell you the truth. I don't know how long y'all stayed at that Marquette dance last night, but I guarantee somebody got enough spirits, and it wasn't the Holy Spirit on the inside of them, that they start speaking the truth. Girl, why you wear that tonight? I don't know why she wore that. I don't know who <laughs> I never did like the truth came out. You've been hee 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 smiling in their face. But soon as a drunk person will tell you the truth. Am I right about it? Third person that will tell you the truth is a toddler. Whoo. That's why mom and daddy used to always say, what happens in this house stays in this house. Don't you go out there and embarrass me, right? Because I'm going to tell it. I'm, you, you, come on, kids, they see it. Mama, you said you didn't like her. Oh, no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> right? They will tell you the truth. The last thing they will tell you the truth is spandex. <laughs> spandex never lies. Come on, soon as you take it off, pow, 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 right, right? The truth coming out, right? <laughs> I know some of y'all walking around looking like you're 10 years younger. Wait till you get home. In the privacy of your bathroom, your bedroom, you might not even wait. Soon you hit the garage, pow, I'm coming out of this. The truth will find you out. Oh, I'm out of time, y'all. Ooh, this is good. All right, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Tempted to make this part two, but uh, I'm just going to say this. Some people have missed transformational truth because they are offended. Some people have missed transformational truth because they're offended they've posted about it on social media rather than prayed about it they've pouted and they walked out instead of seeking understanding and reconciliation they're sitting they're soaking and they're sulking you know what you need to get over it 
You need to get over that, that fence. Don't miss this opportunity. This woman would not be denied. Even though Jesus ignored her. The second thing he did is that he informed her. Let me hurry. Verse 24. He informed her. Verse 24. Now this woman has just, the disciples said, send her away. They noticed her. She's crying after us. Finally, Jesus spoke up and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He informs her, you're not my priority. Woo. You second. Can I just let every, uh, some beautiful women in here this morning. Can I just let y'all second. Y'all ain't my priority. This one right here is. I'm just informing you. Now, if that becomes a fence and you get offended, I'm sorry, but don't, don't miss this transformational truth. That's my precedent. She takes precedent. That's what Jesus was saying to the, to the woman. She, he was saying that the Jews have a position of precedent. They were the vehicle that God chose to reveal his covenant plan to through Abraham and all through the Old Testament. They take precedent. And so it was only right that Jesus come to the Jew first. But he said also to the Gentile. <laughs> he informs her. Don't walk away offended. Do what this woman did. She turned up the volume of her worship. She said, maybe you didn't hear me. You ignored me. I heard what you said. You informed me. But I'm going to turn the volume up. And verse 25 said, the woman came and knelt before him. She said, Lord, help me. But even her worship didn't get Jesus' attention. Not only did he ignore her and informed her, you're not first. He insulted her. Now again, he's trying to teach the disciples a lesson. Verse 26, he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Who are you calling a dog? Most of us would have left after the ignorance. Few of us would have stayed around for the information. Oh, I'm not second. I'm not a priority. I'm not. Okay, who you think you are? You think you're better than me? Right? Most of you would have missed transformational truth. But now he insults her. He calls her a dog. Now the Jews called Gentiles the term dog, which really meant a wild dog, a stray dog, a scavenger dog, a dog that will eat anything, lick anything, doesn't have an owner, never gets shaved, never gets washed, never gets fed and, and, and taken to the vet and cared for. A scavenger, a diseased dog, just running free. Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's what the Jews call the Gentiles. Talk about fences. But Jesus doesn't use that term when he says it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. He uses a less harsh word to her. He uses the word calling her a family dog, a pet dog. Anybody got a pet dog? That dog can come in the house. That dog got a name. That dog can sit on your lap, maybe even sit on your furniture. It might even have his own couch in bed. 
It's got its own bone with his name on it. It's a family dog. It's, it's got a place. And when the woman hears that, you've ignored me, you've informed me, you've insulted me, but wait a minute, you didn't quite insult me like the Jews. You told me maybe I got a place. Maybe, maybe I can come to the table of the Lord. Maybe I am a part of the family. Maybe I'm not an outsider. And the woman, she grabs that dog biscuit, if you will, and says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Her faith finally scaled the fence of offense. And her faith connected with Jesus. In verse 28, Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Her daughter was healed at that moment. That's the lesson Jesus wanted the disciples to learn. That's the lesson he wants us to learn, and he wants everybody in here to know, and he wants us to take this message out and let people know you got a place at God's table. There's no fences in the family of God. You got a seat. Regardless of your lifestyle, regardless of your tradition, regardless of your religious background, God is saying, come on, you can come into my family. You've just got to climb over whatever that offense is, by faith. Before we invite you to the final thing of this service, which is communion, the reality is that, as I said before, all of us have preferences and prejudices. There are certain people that, if we're honest, we really don't want them at our own table. Don't look at nobody. Just keep looking at me. Give yourself away. You start looking around. There's some people that we want, to, we want them to stay over there. Stay on your side of the fence. And I'll stay on my side. Maybe they're Muslims. Maybe they're homosexual. Maybe they're poor. Maybe they're Republican. Maybe they're liberal. Maybe they're socialist. Maybe they're addict. But whoever it is that rubs you the wrong way and makes you uncomfortable, really don't make room for them at our table. God's not like that. He says, you can come to the table of the Lord. It's our tradition on the first Sunday, as our ushers get ready to bring communion and pass it row by row, our tradition which is not like the New Testament tradition. The New Testament, they had a full meal. <laughs> and they had loaves of bread. And they had that good wine. That's not our tradition. We got a cup. It's got juice in it. It's got cellophane and a, and a wafer on the top of it. The wafer represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us and given to us, for us on the cross of Calvary to take away our sins and the, and the juice represents his blood that was shed for us it's our tradition that this table of the Lord is for every person that has climbed that fence of faith and has said Lord I need you I believe you I'm not perfect but I know that your son Jesus is perfect and I put my faith in him I put my faith in him right now. Bring me one, please. 
the ushers are just going to pass these row by row. And if you put your faith and your trust in Christ that way, we welcome you to the table of the Lord. And if you have not, even while the communion items are going up down the aisle, what a great time right now to just say, Lord, I forgive the fence keepers who have offended me. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask you to come into my heart and save me, Lord, right now. Thank you for providing a place for me at your table. And by faith, I come to the table of the Lord. Parkline Assembly of God exists to share the light, life, and love of Jesus Christ. As a part of this mission, join us for special services, workshops, and encounters. Park Lawn Assembly of God is located at 3725 North Sherman Boulevard, right in the heart of the city of Milwaukee. You can contact us by phone or on the web at either 414-442-7411 or at www.parklawn.org. I hope to meet you soon.